Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of the Articulate Fly, and we're back with another East Tennessee Fishing Report with Ellis Ward. How you doing, Ellis? I am on the other side of some sniffles, so I'm I'm doing good, Marv. How are you? Yeah, well, you got to give yourself a little bit more credit than that. They're not sniffles. I know those kids, they're like little Petri dishes. They bring home like the bubonic plague, right? Yeah, this this one was this one was special, but um not not as bad as times in the past. So, on on the other side feeling feeling okay. Yeah, and you've kind of got that like post almost eat uh hangover from a good day of musky fishing too, right? Yeah, I had a uh, great angler first time fishing out here. Um kind of hard to to call it and a lot of people associate fishing in the southeast with either the the reservoir systems um, or the the new slash the James, which are very different, as you probably know. Um, but folks tend to lump those things together. And there's there's a bunch of rivers in between Western North Carolina and East Tennessee that uh, either feed into and are part of the the TVA system. And then there's some freestone, so. It was cool fishing a guy. I mean, when you have someone who's from the upper Midwest fishing a river he's never fished before, there's a big leap of faith to spend the time and the money on on me in, in a river that that is, you know, relatively, uh, we'll, we'll say quiet in like the musky population density documentation. And so that that moment's pretty cool. Um, watching the transition from is that a carp? Do you have a lot of carp in this river? To you know, keeping the fly in the zone, a couple more pop pops, and then uh, then we're we're on the bull ride there for a second. Um, just put puts a lot of things together from. You know, he's he's gassing, he's working and didn't get to the boat, but uh, a saying I hate that is so accurate sometimes is that's the way she goes. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I th- always say to be a successful musk angler, you have to find the joy in the little things. <laughs> oh, yeah. And th- this guy is a great example. And, and this goes to a lot, a lot of the podcasts and conversations you and I have where. You know, he he brought his own rods and backup reels, and um, had tried a new line. And after about an hour, he's he's going back to the other line because when you're when you're casting, you know, not even the giant flies, but bigger rods, and um, it has to be fun. If if you don't like casting and retrieving flies, <laughs> it might sound redundant to a lot of people, but. Musky fishing to to a large extent, streamer fishing as well, probably not your ideal activity. But it is those little things. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thing, right? Because, I mean, I always say musky fishing is the most physically demanding fishing that I do in a season. And, you know, the perpetual casting and retrieving is one thing, and it's always kind of a bummer, right? Because you bring that fly all the way back to the boat. So you got a lot of work to do to get it back out again. But uh, but I would also say, you know, the thing that consistently wrecks me is I get more fatigued doing the figure eight uh, than I do uh, casting and bringing it back every time. Yeah. And there's, I'm, I'm going to take your phrasing with, with some of those 
brown trout eats and and just getting reps you know there's there's you can't replace trigger time and so you know do doing that doing that eight and starting to change your angle a little bit so that two strips before you start going into your eight you're actually teeing yourself up mentally and then that whole time you're thinking what if a fish eats now what if the fish eats now what if i see one now what if the fish eats now get into your eight what if the fish eats now what if i see one now and it it starts to make things a little less taxing because you're you're positioning your body a little more you know naturally than you than you would if you're kind of just man what feels like stumbling through it um or it can feel that way but yeah that transition into the eight and getting low i mean you add in 40 degrees and windy it's a lot so you know one of the things and with rotating through line and just finding stuff that works for you is trying to make it as easy as possible because at the end of the day you do have to have something that might look appetizing to a muskie in the water in order to catch them so it is if you can make it oh just a everything you can do for each step to make it a teensy bit easier six seven eight nine hours into the day it really builds up yeah absolutely and so you know i know i spoke to, i guess to to matt riley last week and he was saying that you know the kind of the musky were kind of almost everywhere right that, that it was cooling off and it was definitely musky weather the smallmouth bite was kind of drying up a little bit, but, uh, it hadn't gotten cold enough long enough to really kind of make it a lot easier to pattern the muskie. Well, well, Matt's, Matt's got a, he's got musky following his boat. I think you fish with that kid and he knows his water so well. Um, I, I would, I would say that the the rivers that I'm fishing and and where we're seeing them, there's there's some holding I, I would say where they should be, but yeah, it, it's the when you said there's musky everywhere. I was just I was just thinking of of Matt being surrounded by musky to just left left right and center, but everywhere is in they're not in their winter pools. They're you know. They're kind of spread out, and we're seeing a little bit of that pretty interesting dynamic on the French Broad, which is a freestone. It is low. I mean, this area is it's in not record drought, but upper percentages of of driest and lowest that it's been in forty or fifty years. And, you know, lowest rainfall totals, you know, like top, top five, somewhere in that in the last 80 years. And so when you're, when you're starting to look at pools, wintering habitat, and then you get into water that is very low. I mean, I mean, there's, there's places I was saying today that this is another redundant musky observation you look out on one side of the river and it's pretty shallow and it's a sandy bottom with a good amount of visibility and if there are no musky there 
that means there are no muskie there. You can see everything. And, and so if that is the case, and also it is known, or at least we think, that there's muskie in the river, then they're to your left. And so there's, again, sounds kind of silly, but there's, you you can, if you know where they are, if you got the the general location and, you know, as they move to the wintering spots, they're, they're not going miles and miles downstream and back up and then missing you halfway in between. Um, you, you can start to piece together with enough time in the water and, um, you know, bouncing around a little bit too. So we did, we did two different sections today and, uh, would have thought the first one paid off, but that wasn't the one that did it. So I don't, I don't want to necessarily say they're, they're spread out right now just because the water is pretty low, but it, it's also in the, you know, fluctuating between lower fifties and, and upper forties. So I, I think it's, and also, you know, the behavior of today's eat is telling me that, um, we are sort of approaching that slowing some things down and I'm going to be hard pressed to say that there's an advantage to the fly as a rule, but when you're fishing structure, like we're fishing and you know, the, the response of some of these fish and how they're following and, and when they're eating, it can be pretty difficult to do that with some, some of the conventional baits. So, um, it's it's always fun to to put the pieces of the puzzle together, and you know got got some more trips coming up in the next couple weeks, and I'll be out a bunch on my own, and hopefully piece it together a little more. Yeah, and uh, I've got an optimistic question from Brenner. Yeah, we just talked about how low the water is. He wants to get your thoughts on targeting fish in high water. I would pay the TVA. I don't know how much money I'd pay them, but I'd probably pay them to release some water during some of my guiding days. <laughs> it's been it's been low. So the the high water, I would say there's there's a couple different types. One is going to be what does it, what does it say tail water, where you're getting a consistent release of high water. Um, over the course of, let's say, four to eight hours, sometimes it's all day, the longer that release is, uh, generally speaking, the more clarity that you're going to have in the high water. So that that is both high and relatively clear, which is very different from a non-tailwater setting. Um, so for the tailwater setting, a lot of similarities here, but going to where there is, we'll say the bottom of the the funnel, where within that funnel is all the food. And so if you think of, and, and some of this stuff I really, I had heard and kind of struggled with just believing blindly, but um. You know, some of the faster, rifflier stuff. Sure, there could be fish in there. Um, when it's ripping, if you're fishing a fly, 
it's going to be, you're going to be hard pressed to get a presentation in, in a, in a fishy way in big water that is really fast and, and has direction changes, you know, within your cast. And, and so another way to phrase that would be casting into a back eddy or an upwell. You just, you really can't do a whole lot within the period of time that your line is sinking and going, coming back to the boat. And, you know, you're casting 30, 40 feet. You might only have a strip or two in there that would be a bite eliciting strip. And even then, you're asking a fish to expend a lot of energy and, and come up closer to the surface. Uh, through a bunch of these cross currents, so I don't. I I really don't like going down very far. Um, you know, eighteen eighteen inches is kind of as as deep, or honestly deeper than I tend to go. Um, and Marv, you you fish with me now a couple times. The the ability to put a fly exactly where you want to put it. And in, in higher water, you're talking about rowing to the outside. I don't care where, you know, which river and what section you are. If you just fish it from the middle and you fish towards the bank, yeah, you might end up with a fish or two trying to eat a streamer. If you approach each section and take away the rest of the river, including the other side of the river and the middle of the river, and you just look at that side and you think, all right, there's a bunch of brown trout here wanting to eat our flies. We need to get it close to them because they're, they're just not going to be out in the middle of the river um, expending energy. Or if they're towards the bottom, our fly's not getting down there. Unless you're talking about, you know, doing some sort of jig retrieve or basically at that point you may as well be drop shot and anything. So to to hunt the browns that are in predator lies in big water, it's it's almost like you're doing a pinch and zoom on your phone. As you're going down the river, you, I mean pick apart all of the good looking water. So below riffles, um great place in some of the poolier areas, like the frog water that would normally be very unappetizing to the fly angler to get, get right up, you know, 20, 30, maximum 40 feet from the bank. And just recognize that that one weed bed or, you know, this little depression against the bank relative to the next one that might not be as big, the weed bed might, might not be as big. The, the depression, the bank not, might not be as deep. Maybe there's some structure above it that a heron or an osprey can't be attacking from. You, you got to look at all those spots and, and put your fly there. Um, I mean, get some grass on it. We lose flies. I, I get, I'm getting flies out of trees in frog water almost more than I am in fast water because that's, it's not a coincidence. Oh, there's, why are we getting into a tree? When there's only one tree in this flat, of course we're getting into that tree. There's only one tree in the flat. There's only one root ball in the flat. There's only one osprey blocking 
structure in the flat, that's where we're going to cast there, and we're going to get it in the worst places imaginable imaginable because that's where there's fish so kind of treating everything like there is going to be a fish there ready and willing and then um you know for the fly angler making it easy on yourself um man i i have i have so many more thoughts on fishing high water in uh in in both off clarity and and then some of the tailwater clarity but I think I'm going to reserve those for time on the boat with people and just say that even in the muddy water, when you can't necessarily see structure underneath, you you look at current breaks and slack water and you treat that as structure. Um, structure friction from where structure is against the water is what slows it down. So banks, mid river structure, uh, those are. Those are all going to be where effort is low to to hang there. And if it is adjacent to current, that means they're close to the buffet line. So, you know, with all this fishing, you got to go in with faith and you got to recognize it might not happen, um, but you keep doing it and it will. Uh, well, there you go. You know, folks, and we love questions at the Articulate Fly. You can email them to us. You can DM us on social media, whatever's easiest for you. And if we use your question, I will send you some Articulate Fly swag. And when you're in a drawing for uh, two days of fishing with Ellis and a night at the Watauga River Lodge, and that's coming up, we'll probably do that maybe next time or maybe the uh, the first fishing report of the new year. And uh, Ellis, before I let you go, you want to let folks, uh, you know, know where they can find you to fish with you. But I also know that you're probably uh, – up to your elbows and bucktails and borax, right? Yeah, through through some elbow uh, latex slash neoprene gloves. I, I'm trying to be. I forget to wear them all the time. That borax really dries you out. Um, yeah, it is. The website's elliswardflies.com and Instagram at ellisward_guides. Uh, best place to text um, for for booking, call me about whatever questions. Um, if, if I have bucktail and, you know, not that hot yellow, but that sort of muted pale yellow that you've been wanting for a couple of years or anything in between, um, it's my cell phone at 513-543-0019. Uh, well, there you go. Well, folks, as I always say, fall is my favorite time of the year to get out there and catch a few. And since it's the season, I want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, Ellis. Hey, happy Thanksgiving, Marv. Tight lines, everybody. Mm-hmm.